Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Chuck Bryant's with me, as usual. As a matter of fact, I don't know what I'd do if Chuck Bryant wasn't with me. I'd probably curl up in the fetal position in the corner and cry myself to sleep. Uh, I think you'd be just fine. I don't know, Chuck. I don't ever want to find out, Chuck. Well, thanks. Don't ever leave me. I almost didn't make it today. Why? What's going on with you? I was out last night. I went out and saw Matt's band, as you know. Matt Frederick? Our yes. handsome young stand-in producer? Yeah, Matt Frederick of... Uh, Stuff of Genius fame, an awesome new video podcast. Yeah, we nice should mention. Plug, Chuck, good going. It's really good. You guys should check that out. Stuff of Genius. It's it's uh, a video podcast, no it's less. It's video, and it's cool, and it has a little like Monty Python-esque animation. I like it. Yeah, and we don't want to hear any of this. I don't have time to watch that crap, because it's like a minute 42 tops. Yeah, it's quick. Yeah. But so. I went and saw his band last night, uh, Lions and Scissors. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, I wanted to say that they have a MySpace page, and it's good music if you're into... Uh, it's very shoegaze. Shoegaze. Like Mogwai. Yeah, Mogwai is good. Sort of a radio heady component at times. Nice. Uh, Explosions in the Sky, you ever heard of them? I have. Mm. A big wall of sound. Loud, my ears are ringing, and I'm slightly tired and imbibed a bit too much. But gotcha. that was my night. That's Chuck's Thursday, everybody. So keep rocking, Matt. We love it. Yeah, way to go, Matt. So can we... <laughs> Can yeah. we get back to our podcast now, maybe? Yeah, but I just wanted to give Matt know, a shout-out. I'm just out giving you a hard time. I think you're a good guy for doing that. Talented uh, drummer. Great drummer. Okay. So, Chuck, uh, you grew up in the Cold War, right? <laughs> That's a pretty funny jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You did? You're a Cold War baby like me. I'm a Cold War kid. Isn't it weird to, to think we actually work with people who like weren't cognizant that you know the Soviets had nukes? pointed at us at all times and vice versa yeah that is weird to me yeah but um yeah i remember being particularly unnerved from time to time that like dude eventually they're going to come over and uh, or a missile's going to be sent right. over and that's that you know i think i can't help but think that we were definitely shaped our personalities were shaped by that underlying constant level of paranoia that yeah. we grew up with you well know? in the movies uh a lot, a lot of great cold war movies of that era of the ruskies out to get us yeah well, they, do you remember were, the movie Ruskies? Was there one called Ruskies? It was actually a counter-propaganda movie really? where a bunch of kids that were probably my age, you would have been like, you know, 20 by then, <laughs> um, <laughs> were, were, I think uh, they found a Russian sailor who washed ashore and they had to hide him because, of course, you know, the government would shoot him in the head if they found him. I've never heard um, of that. And they came to learn that the Soviets have hearts, too. They they know how to love. Was it a real movie? Like, yeah. Okay. It wasn't very good, but right. it was somebody actually put out the effort to say, you know, hey, we're all just people here. Sure. You know? Um, and, and what they were doing, actually, was counter-propaganda, right? What, like, a, what a segue. All the uh, That was right off the cuff, too, pal. That's good. Um, all, of the, all of the stuff we were told, I would say at least the vast majority of it, was lopsided at best. Like, do you remember, what did you think of the Russians when you were growing up, that they were like, they'd cut your throat just as soon as look at you? Yeah. And they were always standing in these horrible bread lines. And right. And like, every single one of them wanted to escape, but the Russian government wouldn't let them. Right. They wanted a toilet paper. That's, you always yeah. heard stories about, they don't have blue jeans and they don't have toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you could get, you know, five wives with a single pair of jeans if you went over right. there kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I remember when the Iron Curtain fell, Mm-hmm. And, like, actual news started coming out of the, the former USSR states that I remember thinking, oh, yeah, huh, what a surprise. All of that was lies. Right. And they're actually kind of nice folks, by and large. I'm not saying that they weren't 
trying to do bad things when we were trying to do bad things. Well, no, I think that that was the, the Russian people were good people. That came. That, that's what I figured out when the propaganda ended. The Cold War propaganda ended so abruptly. Is uh-huh. that we're all people. Right. Like the average Russian is like the average American at heart. With the same dreams, goals, aspirations, right. same things that irk him or her. You know, it's the same thing. And we didn't want our stockpiles of weapons pointed in their direction either. You know, your average American probably didn't. No, didn't. certainly not. I didn't either. Let's just get along. All right. So, Chuck, what we're talking about clearly is is propaganda, yes. right? Which, and just that word, a, a very smart person once uh, said um, that propaganda is not a dirty word and it didn't end with the Cold War. And that's actually true. But propaganda still has horrible connotations, just the word itself, right? right. I mean, it elicits images of, like, brainwashed masses. Uh-huh. And, Lies. And that's, it's definitely the case in, in most cases when it comes to propaganda. But there's a, a classical, more classical definition of propaganda. And essentially, um, it's that it, it's simply a tool for persuasive arguments um, that use facts and beliefs right. but omit facts and beliefs that that would persuade people to the other side of the argument right right it's it's uh, accentuating the positive in a way and you never talk about the negative side of the things right it's right sort of, it's sort of like facebook it is it's very much like facebook um I, I i figured out that um through reading this article how propaganda works that technically the truth campaign you uh-huh. know to, to to get people to quit smoking yeah those are great commercials that's propaganda sure. because they omit the fact that cigarettes make you alive with pleasure in flavor country <laughs> right so newport it's that's a little bit of both. Oh, okay, I'm not sure we should say the brands because I'm pretty sure Big Tobacco would sue our pants. Yeah, off. you're right. You've come a long way, baby. <laughs> nice, Chuck. <laughs> um, so yes, but the the main hallmark of propaganda is that it includes omissions of facts. Right. Right. Um, and actually, the the wh- where where did the whole word come from? You got any you got any info on that, dude? Uh, yeah, it started with religion. Uh, way back, and it started, you know, hundreds of years before it was officially coined. Mm-hmm. But in 1622, Pope Gregory, what is that, 25? 15. 15. Uh-huh. I need to work on my Roman numerals. <laughs> uh, Pope Gregory 15 established the Congregation of Propaganda in 1622. Mm-hmm. And that was basically trying to win back Catholics who had taken up the Protestant faith. Yeah, Martin Luther made a real dent in uh, the number of seats in yeah. the pews every Sunday. Sure. So uh, Pope Gregory formed the, uh, what was it, the Congregation of Propaganda. Yeah, I just um, said that. And they, oh, you did say that. Yeah. Holy cow. That's okay. Man, i got to pay more attention. That's right. Basically, this Congregation of Propaganda, you know, won Catholics back by pointing out that anyone who doesn't take communion every week is a loser. Right. And it worked. It did. Sure. I'm sure numbers increased. So since then, you know, from that point until, uh, I don't know, the 1940s, there was absolutely no propaganda whatsoever. That's probably not true. <laughs> no, you don't think so? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I need to read a little more clearly. Uh, World War One. Are we talking, are we going to go over the history now? I don't think we should get to that part yet. I think okay. we should talk more about propaganda's impl- implications, right? Okay. The, in the article, you you read that there was an interview with a, uh, a guy named M. Lane Bruner. Right. And Georgia State guy? Yeah. He's a professor of, what, rhetoric? At Georgia State? Yeah, I didn't know that was such a thing. I didn't either. I'll bet it's interesting. Good for him. Um, but Bruner said that uh, the the distinction for him between good and bad propaganda was whether or not um, the the people perpetrating the propaganda have the the best interests of their audience at heart, right? Yeah, but that's subjective. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I take issue with that because I think that it's up to the individual right. 
to decide what his or her best interests are, right? Exactly. And to make that decision, you have to be fully informed. Right. Well, propaganda is based on an omission of facts. You're never fully informed when you're when you're being uh, uh, propagandized, right? Right. So therefore, there's no such thing as good propaganda. Sure. You never see two both sides of the uh, argument with propaganda. Right. Right. So that's I don't think there is such a good thing as propaganda. I take issue. And he's at Georgia State. He's not too far. Maybe we should uh, hop on the subway and go to Pound him? And, uh, yeah, take issue with him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> take issue with this, Professor. I got some propaganda for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Chuck, how do you how do you get propaganda across? Uh, well, there's a lot of techniques, actually. And these are pretty cool. And I know that when people hear these, they're going to be very familiar, maybe not with the name, but with uh, the result. Right, yeah. Um, name calling is, is a big one. Yeah, I I found a poster I showed you. Um, it's a takeoff on that Shepard Ferry, right? Obama, um, Obama poster. political poster. Mm-hmm. But this one, it, it's a slightly different picture. He has his nose in the air, and it says "snob" underneath. It's actually pretty funny. Yeah, especially yeah, since he won. It's a lot funnier because he won. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. True. I guess that was done before he won. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and you know, name calling is that's just typical playground stuff, but they do it on large, you know, on a large scale. Sure. Grown men and women in the political spectrum call people out. They'll uh, they'll use names to uh, they'll use names like terrorist and traitor and uh, like evildoers stuff that nobody wants to be called. right. Not to pick too much on uh, George Bush, but when you throw down words like axis of evil and evildoers, that's propaganda. Definitely in its purest form. Yeah, it is. It is, and it makes you wonder like what exactly is going on in Iran right now. How much propaganda we're experiencing from that? Sure. You know. So that's one technique. Sure. Uh, you want to talk about the bandwagon? Well, bandwagon's pretty simple. It's like, get on the winning side, dummy, you know? Right. Which is actually, that example makes name-calling and bandwagon. Right. Uh, nobody wants to feel left out. And again, this is pretty much a playground technique. Right. Which like is If you sad. don't come with us, then you're in you're the other be, group. Right. right. Or you're going to be left behind. Right. All your friends and neighbors are going to be cooler than you, smarter than you, richer than you, whatever. Right. Um, and, you know, everybody wants to uh, be a part of something right. good. You know, so yeah, basically with with the bandwagon technique, you're made to feel like you can be a part of something good if you join in, or be left behind if you don't. You got it. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I like this one a lot. The glittering generalities. Yeah, it's a great name. Yeah, this is really common in uh, political propaganda, and that's when you combine words that have positive connotations with a concept that is uh, beloved. So basically, no one's going to come out and denounce. Something that you call, and I have another example. And again, not to pick on pick on Bush, but he was in office for so eight easy. years. So there's oh yeah, there's a yeah, lot he of was things in office for eight years. You know, there's a lot of recent things you can point to, like the Patriot Act. Uh-huh. Like anyone who would come out and say, "Oh, the Patriot Act is bad," then what? You're not a patriot, right? Like, yeah, you not support being was, a patriot. Yeah, but the, and the worst part is, is it worked. Yeah. Although, do you remember one of the original provisions was basically to turn postal workers into spies? And the post office said, no, we're not going to do that. Right. And it got left out, but they wanted postal workers to keep an eye on what was going on to report on communities and individual people. Right. Yeah. So uh, other words you can use in the glittering generalities are uh, words like liberty and dreams and family. And you you throw these words in there and, you know, God forbid you step up and say something that's anti-family. Sure. Just because they tag that name to it. Yeah. What and, kind of and, terrorist are you? Right, exactly. Yeah. And all, all all politicians do this. We're not we're not going to single things out. It happens all over the place on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, it's just that Bush was in office for eight years. Sure, which I just said. I know. <laughs> you should listen. Uh, card stacking. 
card stacking is it's exactly what it sounds like. It's stacking. Uh, it's stacking the argument in the favor of one side over another. Right. Um, and again, this is this is the one that where fact omission really comes into play. Right. You know. Um. And and it's most often seen in political campaigns where you know one candidate is like Broadwater. Have you ever seen Ali G? Yeah. Did, did you ever see the Barat where he follows around that candidate, Jim Broadwater? No. It's hilarious. At one point, he tells a voter that Broadwater's talking to that, if you do not vote for Broadwater, Broadwater will take power. <laughs> it's hilarious. And he compares him to Stalin. Really? Yeah. And this is just this poor, you know, Republican guy running for city council mid trying to uh, keep man. up. Yeah. I bet he lost it, didn't he? I don't know. I'd yeah. like to find that out. But, uh, yeah, card stacking is basically just um, saying, here's our candidate's great, great attributes. Right. Uh, leaving out any bad stuff. Well, details and statistics, too. Like, they'll throw out legitimate studies, but studies that don't mention the other study that can point out the exact opposite. Result. Nice point, Chuck. Card stacking. Card it's like stacking. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like Facebook. Grand, and then here's my favorite. Yeah. Fear. That's a big one. So, Chuck... Say we were to point out that the guys who host tech stuff uh, steal babies in America and then sell them to human traffickers in the Balkans. You're saying that Jonathan Strickland and Chris Paulette would do that? I'm just saying. I've heard things. Okay. So, I mean, don't you think it'd be a good idea to not listen to their podcast and all the people who are tech stuff fans maybe come over and, and listen to us instead? Right. Because we certainly don't steal babies, and we would never sell any to human traffickers right. if we did. Right. That's Propaganda. A great example, Josh. Thanks. Of course, we'd have to do that on the tech stuff podcast so they'd hear it. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. Uh, subliminal. What? Subliminal messaging. That. I'm sorry. I should say it subliminally. Subliminal messaging. Huh? I feel like doing your bidding all of a sudden. Exactly. And that is, uh, that's one of the oldest tricks in the book. And that's basically images and words. Whispering? Yeah. It's the (laughs) oldest trick in the book. No, it's, you know how it is. It's images and words that are so quick and abstract that you don't consciously recognize it. Yeah. Again, we keep going back to politics because it's just so obvious with politics. But any campaign poster for anyone, from somebody running for school board to somebody running for president, Mm -hmm. they always have red, white, and blue in them. Yeah. They'll often have a star. Sure. Or there'll be a wavy graphic that's kind of um, reminiscent of a flag. Uh And none of these things are concrete. Like, you never see the candidate dressed as a Statue of Liberty. Right. Or actually wrapped in a flag. You may as well. It's a little more subtle than that, but it has right. the same effect. Yeah. And Obama's, probably even a better Obama effect. symbol was exactly like that. Sure. The one that they designed that was the, kind of looked like the wavy flag in the circle. Sure. It makes the O in snob. Right. Yeah. Oh, it does in that It does, yeah. I'll show you more closely. Okay. But, yeah, so and actually a really good way to kind of pick out this kind of uh, propaganda, which is called transfer, right? Right. Um, is to... Pretend you're from another country, right? Ah, so all of a sudden, that wave—what's that wave for, or what's that star for? Right, like stuff we just take for granted that immediately goes, and our, our neurons sure. are like patriot, patriot, you know? Right. Um, if, if you imagine you're from another country, suddenly you deconstruct these abstract images, and it, it seems a little clunky, clumsy. It doesn't have the same effect. Right. What is wavy star? Exactly. In Soviet Russia, right. wavy star doesn't understand you. That's good. Thank you. That was uh, Yakov Smirnov. Smirnov. Yeah. I wonder what happened to that guy. And then lastly, there's plain folks propaganda, which is kind of weak, actually. Yeah, that didn't that didn't strike me as propaganda when I read it. Like kind of a 
the politician trying to seem like your average ordinary, you know, you know next door neighbor American. Um, I guess it's propaganda if, if the article says so, but it never struck me as that. Well, technically it is because it's an omission of fact. So, yeah, like, well, true. You know, if the sure the candidate loves fishing. But is he really fishing in some rinky-dink rowboat that he rented from like a local fisherman, right. or is he on like an eighty-foot yacht, right. you know, using babies that he bought off the tech stuff guys as bait, right? Yeah. Or, or was, did they set up some you know TV commercial where they did take him to that farm in the rinky-dink rowboat and said, "Hey, you know, excellent point. Can our candidate Which would fish with you for five minutes?" Most decidedly propaganda. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So yeah, plain folks is propaganda too. And Chuck, the more you start looking or thinking about propaganda, the more you realize. It is everywhere. It is. Where, Chuck? How? Well, it's 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 where you would expect it to be, which is in print, on the internet, TV, radio, movies, you name it. Like I was talking about with with the '80s movies and the Cold War. Mm -hmm. I mean, every every action movie that came out, the Russians were the enemy, pretty much. And then, kind of later on, it became Middle Easterners were the enemy. Like, look who Rambo fought and who Rocky fought. Those are prime examples. Oh, yeah. He fought the Russian, but he helped the Mujahideen. Uh, True. A.K.A. the Taliban. He did, what, in uh, one of the Rambo movies? The third Rambo movie. He And at the very end, they said that they dedicated the movie to the Mujahideen freedom fighters. Really? And the Mujahideen, who we were funding to help fight the uh, Russians in Afghanistan, turned into the Taliban. Wow. Did I wonder what know? Chuck Norris has to say about that. Chuck Norris is not happy about that no. at all. He's been after Stallone since then, probably. <laughs> right. Can show him a thing or two. Yeah. So apparently, um, according to uh, one of the, uh, the the professors interviewed in this article, um, broadcast media, like radio or TV, mm-hmm. is the most dangerous propaganda medium. Right. Because people tend to believe it. Well, not just that. There's no discourse. It's all one-sided. Right. It's all here. You ingest this. Right. And also, it's it's much. It's very entertaining. Sure. You know, your average TV show is usually more entertaining than your average AP news article. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? But uh, ironically, it's the AP news articles that are generally the least propagandic. Yeah, you're right. Because think about it, it's like fact, 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 quote, fact, quack. Yes, quack. That's that's actually a quote in effect. <laughs> right, quack. Um, and then um, that's it. Right. There's not. It's pretty bare bones. I like I like to, those uh, political commercials. Those are great. Which ones? You know the the big time propaganda. Ones, oh yeah, where yes. they're where they're you know this candidate the phone hates ringing? your family right stuff like that. Do you remember the phone ringing one? Uh. Uh-uh. I think it was. A Clinton ad against Obama. It was one of the last ones she ran during the primary. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just a phone ringing. Right. And it said, it, it, "When the phone when the phone rings in the middle of the night, who do you want as president right. to answer it? Something like that, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely fear propaganda. Yeah, those crack me up though. I mean, the people that buy into those, that's who, what scares me. Sure, the commercials themselves, I get a kick out of. It. I think it's hysterical. Yeah, that anyone wouldn't say. This is so one-sided, it's well, a joke. what's mind-bogglingly frightening is that it actually works on some people. I know. So, um, Chuck, uh, propaganda also sometimes is not necessarily contrived. It just kind of comes out. Like, I spent a few years as a journalist, right? And I realized that it is really easy for your beliefs to creep into a, a story. Right. It doesn't matter whether it's a story about somebody who just turned 100 or, um, you know, about the war in Iraq. Is as unbiased as you try to be. Right. It's impossible to be totally objective. You're right. In this very podcast, we get taken to task occasionally by people that think we're uh, communists. <laughs> sure. 
communists, uh, anti-religious, sexist, right. mommy worshippers, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, but we're not any of those things. No, not really. And if we are, we're sure not aware of it. Anyway, but, you know, your belief system informs your outlook, right? Yeah. So, you know, just the very position you're taking, just the very approach to an article, there's 80, 100 countless different ways to approach an article. The one you choose, even if you're trying to be objective, that's a choice. That's a bias right out of the gate. Right, and you're going to choose the one that you identify with, that you understand more. Yeah. So, again, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're getting news, only get it from AP. Not a bad idea. Thank you, Chuck. You want to move along? Uh, different types of propaganda? Well, let, let's talk about the Internet real quick. Okay. Because I find this interesting. The Internet actually has the potential to totally undermine traditional propaganda, right? How so? Well, think about it. Like, if broadcast uh, programming is the most dangerous form of propaganda because there's no feedback, mm-hmm. then the Internet would be the least dangerous form because there's nothing but feedback. Right. Social media has just opened the Internet up to everybody. Any crackpot normal person, right. saint, can put this stuff on the internet and, and get opposing viewpoints out there. Sure. So you can conceivably just be a fully informed person and make your own decisions, which completely undermines um, propaganda, right? Right. True. The problem is, is you know, facts spreading lightning fast, uh, just as much as that undermines propaganda, um, uninformed ideas or facts that aren't really facts right. can spread just as quickly. Oh, big time. And that helps propaganda. So Yeah, and the Internet is just rife with that kind of thing. Well, my solution, Snopes.com. Yeah, they're pretty good. So let's talk about the uh, different types of propaganda and wrap this puppy up like a Christmas present. Uh, religious propaganda was kind of where it all began, like we said earlier, and uh, missionaries Yeah, for centuries have been... Uh, Cooked, trying, eaten. Yeah, yeah, and they've been uh, traveling to other countries trying to recruit others to their uh, to their faith. And this is a form of propaganda. Pamphlets and the posters that they, they hand out, and, and we're not saying that they're bad people and that they're spreading lies. What we're saying is that's a form of propaganda when you only uh, evangelize the one side of the coin. And they do when they go to these countries tell people that this is the answer right here. Well, you could also make the case that uh, another kind of propaganda the article points out but doesn't join to religion, uh, thought reform, is actually uh, a a form of religious propaganda as well. Oh, yeah, brainwashing. Because, you know, if you're running around worshiping like 80 deities Mm -hmm. and the Christians come along and say, no, no, there's just one, we're monotheistic now, that's thought reform, right? Right. Yeah. Although, you know, generally they don't give out Kool-Aid. That's laced with cyanide. No, that that's uh, a very cult. But behavior. you know, all those those types, the political, religious, uh, well, especially political and religious um, propaganda, they kind of um, underscore our divisive nature, right? Mm-hmm. Like us versus them. Yeah, true. And actually, I took an anthropology class once in, in college, and the professor challenged us to go a day, just one day, without using the words "us" or "them" or any variation on that theme. And I defy you to do it successfully. I'm trying to try. You can't start now. The day's half over. You have to start tomorrow. Just those two words. You can say we. No, uh, no variation on the theme of us and us or them. Okay, try it. It's tough. I'm going to forget about that as soon as I leave this studio. (laughs) Chuck, the 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 big one though of all of them is government propaganda, right? Right, which is illegal since 1951 officially. And if you think about it, that government propaganda is taxpayers paying to be brainwashed. Yeah. 
Which is why it it should be illegal, right? Yeah, and it has been since 1951, technically. But uh, W, Mr. Bush, in 2005 actually signed the Stop Government Propaganda Now bill to to keep some, like, blatant outright acts of propaganda committed by government agencies, like when you pay television reporters to skew a message, that kind of thing. Or planting stories. Planting stories, exactly. Yeah, that's that's uh, a no-no. It also established some... uh, that audio and uh, printed press communication state who the agency is that funded it, like paid for by blah, 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 mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And we, we see government propaganda most prominently at, during times of war, yes. right? Like Hitler and the Nazis were masters of propaganda. He was the, the king of propaganda. He was. In world history, I think. Yeah. He, he, he cut Germany mm-hmm. off from the outside world. Yep. He sold uh, radios for next to nothing. That I don't was, think he was driving that. around in the back of a truck selling them. He mm-hmm. made sure the prices were low so every German could afford yeah. one. So they could tune into his radio addresses and, mm-hmm. and hear how great they were and how awful the Jews and everybody else was. Uh, and and the, the portrayal of uh, what was going on, like Germans living in, the, in other parts of the world were being abused at the hands of their host countries right. and things like that. Um, and it, it was effective. Yeah, and they also made movies, the famous Nazi propaganda movies. Mm-hmm. Where they, you know, made out Jews to be rats and Hitler to be godlike, and it was. Uh, yeah, and they didn't like the gypsies much either. Oh, really? Or gays or Catholics? Yeah, yeah. You forget sometimes, you know, that it wasn't just the Jews that were pro- or the persecuted in the Holocaust. There was a lot of other groups. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and here in the U.S., here stateside, we had our own propaganda as well. Oh, yeah, oh and also we should say um, on our very enjoyable sister podcast stuff you missed in history class mm-hmm. they actually did an entire podcast on the uh, the nazi propaganda machine didn't yeah they? yeah they should people should check that out yeah it's you a good can one. get that on itunes too but again stateside we had our own propaganda and that some that have become pop icons right yes and world war ii was when it really kicked up like if you think of the famous uncle sam i want you posters with uncle sam pointing trying to mm-hmm. get uh, young american men to enlist in the army yeah that was new in the 40s yeah and that was a big Big-time propaganda. Posters were very effective back then. My favorite, uh, I had two favorites. I know um, what one of them is. What, what, which one? Rosie, probably. Rosie's pretty cool. Okay. Um, but there was one that had somebody riding in a car by by uh, by, by himself. Oh, yeah. And it said, um, when you, it was for carpooling, right? Right. To ration gas and stuff. Mm-hmm. When you ride alone, you ride with Hitler. I know. <laughs> How great would it be to have one of those posters now? Oh, I'm sure you can find at least a, a replica. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that's, the, the other thing about them is they're like great art. Oh, yeah. It's, propaganda posters have the best art. Yeah, I like that, that, that era. The the other one I like is just, I I just can't believe it. Like that these were up and and on public display um, during World War II. There's a uh, Japanese soldier using the butt of his rifle to smack a, a an American POW yeah. in the chin, and it says, "What are you going to do about it?" And below is the answer. And the answer, according to this propaganda poster, is stay on the job until every murdering Jap is wiped out. You're kidding. It even has a little government office of propaganda logo at the bottom. Wow. Look, I kid you not. That's something else. Yeah, it's a little nuts. So, yeah, we go a little overboard yeah. <laughs> during times of war. I liked Rosie the Riveter. That's who I thought you were going to mention. Have you seen uh, my uh, favorite mechanic is a woman? Yeah, yeah. Over in Decatur? Yeah, yeah, they riff on that. Yeah. Successfully, too. Sure. Um, yeah, Rosie the Riveter was famous, obviously, because uh, women at the time uh, during World War II were encouraged to help the uh, the war 
uh, at home on mm-hmm. the home front oh, by yeah. working in the taking these factory jobs that the men had to leave. Yeah, and uh, she became like an iconic character. And one of the posters read, "Longing won't bring him back sooner. Get a war job." Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. There, I saw another one. It was a woman holding a giant key, and it said. Uh, food rationing is the key to the war effort. Right. And and actually, that was one of the the, the things that I, I don't think you could predict that came out of propaganda was um, women suddenly were uh, put into their proper position of power. They were elevated to that, that kind of power. They were yeah, no longer true. demure little housewives. They were empowered to, like, actually help with the war effort, get a war job right. or to um, food ration food. Uh, or do whatever, they suddenly had a role. And not just women, but blacks as well. There was a propaganda poster that said, like, united we win, and it was a black guy and a white guy right. working side by side. Decades before the civil rights movement. Yeah, so sometimes it's um, it's foreshadowing of social change and possibly even a mechanism of social change that follows whatever the the, the uh, issue is that's being propagandized. Yeah. I right? think definitely in the case of women, I think World War Two probably... Sure. Had a lot of uh, good benefits for women kind of having a voice yeah. for the first time. Or not the first time, but... Uh, uh, probably a really big collective voice for the first time. Yeah. 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 Um, and Chuck, that's propaganda, baby. Yeah. You know, I had a movie idea, a script idea, when I was during my screenwriting days about a, a film student that gets... Um, like, he wins the big student film award, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden he gets whisked away by the government to the secret lair... And uh, they recruit young filmmakers to the Ministry of Propaganda. And, like, the moon landing was fake, and all these things have been faked. Well, well, we talked about that in another podcast. Yeah. But this, yeah, this kid gets caught up into making these movies that are all false. Have you seen Wag the Dog? Yeah. It's a great one, too. Yeah, sort of a riff on that. And I never wrote it, and I'm not going to. So if anyone out there is a screenwriter and likes that idea, feel free. Yeah. Just give a shout-out to Chuck at the premiere, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, again, that's propaganda. That is. Right? So, are we plugging anything? Do we have an ad? Nothing? Holy cow, that means we get to go right to listener mail. Josh, today I think we, uh, since it would be appropriate to talk about Molly Orshansky. Yeah. Since um, uh, our last subject matter there, we were talking about the, uh, the women in World War II. We were, uh, and also we mentioned that we have been called sexist and mommy worshippers. You want to uh, read... That letter in question? Yes, we actually got a couple of letters. Um, one which we're going to read now, and one that was kind of nasty and mean. <laughs> it was. And we're not going to read that, or we're not going to say that uh, nasty, mean person's name. But this one was much more above board. Uh, this says, You probably have received a bunch of emails about this, but I want to let you know that Molly Orshansky is a woman. Mm-hmm. If you recall, she is a woman who developed the poverty line, but in your podcast, how much money do I really need to live? You referenced Ms. Orshansky as a he. As a female graduate student of public policy with a specialization in poverty, I was so excited to hear you mention a woman who was so influential to the field, but then I was extremely disappointed when you got the gender wrong. Obviously, she had a right to be. Sure. And I hope you make this correction on your podcast. And that comes from Cheryl, a uh, master in public policy candidate at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. And I wrote Cheryl back and thanked her for being kind since we had gotten the nasty letter calling us misogynistic freaks. Yeah, thank you, little lady. And it was a big mistake. Uh, we were wrong, and the research that we got actually referenced uh, Molly Rochansky as a he. And so it wasn't some big assumption on our part that it had to be a man. Wait, wait, Chuck, Chuck, I've been thinking about this. I think at this point we should make up a um, research team 
and lay this on their feet. I don't think we should take any responsibility whatsoever. You ready? <laughs> ready? So, Chuck, um, I, it was our research team that really uh, dropped the ball on this one. It wasn't you or I. We were misinformed. Right. We, um, did, we did not assume, like a couple of uh, readers or listeners have thought, that we didn't assume that it was a man just yeah. because it was some big policy. It wasn't us at all. That We don't do that kind of thing. But anything. to make up for the failings of our crack research team, who've been chastised um, since we got this pointed out to us. Well, fired. We fired them both. It's a different way of putting it. In this economy, you want to say chastised. We didn't fire anyone. I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, we did a little research into Molly Orshansky. We found out she is dead. Uh, she died in April 2007, uh-huh. and she actually was quite a pioneer um, in her field. She uh, worked for the Social Security Administration from 1958 to 1982. And uh, as historian Alice O'Connor wrote in Poverty Knowledge, she was one of a respected but mostly invisible cadre of women research professor- professionals based at Social Security Administration and other government agencies during the post-war years. And I think that's part of the uh, part of the problem. I think um, we, as you know, thirty early thirty somethings. Well, one of us is an early thirty something. In two thousand nine, kind of um, underestimated what women were allowed to do. I think in the sixties, right? That's fair enough. Sure. So um, you know why? Because you don't hear much about it. No, they were. No, I no, and that is that is the travesty. And I even thought, like when we were doing that podcast, like Molly is a weird name for a guy, but I did too. Still, I thought it was an Irish thing, right. and I thought Molly Orshansky. I could see a guy being named Molly Orshansky, right? So but, it was it was a mistake. Uh, I, I I would say um, much more notable or noteworthy than being invisible, you know, but successful was that she actually um, has helped countless. Uh, impoverished people in the United States. Absolutely. By creating this poverty line, which basically forces the government's hand into saying, okay, if you're below this, we're going to help you. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and this is largely due to her work yep. as a mathematician and statistician. The so, true trailblazer. Yeah. He was a great man. He was. <laughs> Hats off to you, Mr. Orshansky. So if you want to send Chuck an email taking us to task or pointing out an error or just say hi, whatever. Any kind or of gender confusion. If you want to call us sexist mommy worshippers, whatever. We accept all comers. You can send that to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Should Know blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?